Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast number 11, and this is season two, where we are talking about the coming persecution. Our goal is to have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live, looking to the Bible to make sense of our existence. God's Word helps us to make sense of this crazy, fallen world in which we live, because the Bible has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our being. God's counsel enables us not merely to survive, but to thrive in a post-Christian and often Christ-hostile context. So, join us for the next 20 to 25 minutes as we give you a bird's-eye view perspective of some complex issue facing our culture, the church, or you as we apply God's Word to make sense of it all. And at the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources for further study, just in case you'd like to dig in a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. You know, Keith, it's election day. Today, the votes will be cast, and the ballots will be counted, and uh, probably by tomorrow when we release this podcast, we still won't know who's won the election, but it's election day, and I think that this election has a lot to do with this coming persecution. And so uh, so maybe today let's talk a little bit about how the election plays into the church. It's a great idea. I think we need to do that. What we're going to do is really blend a couple of concepts here. The coming persecution, what to expect with this election, and we'll also tie it into as we talked about last week, the coming persecution within the culture and within the workplace. So with that in mind, let me read you a quotation from 2010. Let me give you the context. This is the cardinal who is in charge of Chicago, that whole archdiocese up there. And while I don't look to the Catholic Church as my authority, he was commenting on the increased secularization of our culture and its hostility to to things Christian, or in his case, things Catholic. And I want you to listen to what he said 10 years ago. He said this, I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square from mob violence. This is Cardinal Francis George during a 2010 talk. Now, he did go on to express some hope in the future that a ruined society would be able to rebuild itself, as it has always done in human history. But I want us to think about what he said. He expected to die in bed. His successor would die in prison, and his successor's successor would die from mob violence in a park somewhere in the Chicago area. That isn't good. In fact, that makes me think in terms of the riots today and the hostility. And we played that Keith Oberman quote, that extremist quote last week. And I think all of this does not bode well for the election and what follows. Yeah, so what should we expect uh, in these next four years or maybe the four years after that, I guess, depending on how the election goes? Uh, But what is there to be expected coming Well, I think what you're going to see, Mark, is an an increasing cultural hostility. That will lead to increasing persecution, increasing harassment, and I believe an increasing abuse of the existing legal institutions today to accomplish those ends in our own country and worldwide. So what makes you so sure about this, Keith? I say this because it's already underway, both at home and abroad, and has been for some time. First, you have the Cardinals' comments 10 years ago, and there's a reason for that. But let's go back to 2010 and work our way to the present time. And I want you to watch this play out and take note of this. May 4, 2010, in London, England, a preacher was arrested after he'd preached a sermon in which he made no hostile mention of homosexuality, but after the message, some people came forward to talk to him, and one of the people asked him about homosexuality, and he uh, quoted 1 Corinthians to them, and they went from where he was to a nearby police officer 
told the police officer what the pastor said, and that police officer came over and arrested him, arrested him. And the police officer explained that he was a homosexual who was a gay, lesbian, and bisexual and transgender liaison officer with the London Police Department, I guess Scotland Yard. And he had warned him that he shouldn't say things like this and that it is wrong and criminal to say that homosexual conduct is sinful. Uh, The preacher told him that it is not criminal to say that, but they arrested him nonetheless. And at the police station, they took the pastor, they took his fingerprints, a palm print, a retinal scan, and a DNA swab and entered it into their criminal database. Now, later, he was released on bail on the condition that he would not preach in public. Ultimately, he was vindicated. But what you see here is a cultural hostility, and you see the law being bent and twisted and ignored, and this man was arrested. So that was 2010, and maybe almost just kind of an anecdotal evidence of that. Uh, Where have we seen this maybe more recently? Well, just last year, Mark, in 2019, another preacher was arrested and his Bible confiscated in the United Kingdom. They alleged he was a racist, which was particularly unusual because he was a black Nigerian preacher. And during his sermon, he mentioned Islam. And they grabbed him. There's a video of it, of them arresting him, snatching the Bible from his hand. And he's saying, no, 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 don't take my Bible away. And one of the officers said, you should have thought of that before being racist. Now, again, he had insulted his hearers. Apparently, there was a Muslim person in the audience, and so they arrested him. Now, he sued and won and again was exonerated, but it's kind of peculiar. They arrested him for speaking in an insulting way. And, you know, expressing your opinion, whether people agree with it or not, even in the United Kingdom, is not a crime. Now, that seems all so far away, but let's move over to Canada, May 2020. What happened there? Another pastor was arrested for insulting people. During a sermon, he said that anyone in the whole world can be saved, and that includes people who are uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, queer, or whatnot. And that statement was used to justify his arrest. Again, he eventually was cleared, but what we're seeing here is sort of a bending or twisting of the rule of law, and you're seeing a mindset where people, based on their feelings, are getting other people arrested who should not be arrested because the culture is hostile to Christianity. It is hostile to a biblical worldview. Yeah, I think that's fair to say for somewhere like the UK, somewhere like Canada, um, where they don't necessarily have you know, the First Amendment rights that we do here in the United States. We have a constitution that our right to freedom of religion and freedom to practice uh, that religion. And so how do you see these things playing out here in America where we actually have our founding documents protect us from this persecution or are supposed to protect us? Well, I think what you're seeing at home and abroad is that laws change with the culture and the society. And let me show you what I mean. There was a survey recently published by Politico. It's a center-left or left-leaning online magazine, but their research was corroborated by the Peer uh, Research Organization, the, the, the Pew Research Organization. And their study revealed that the can- cancel culture is largely driven by younger people steeped in critical theory and educated by the uh, secular educational establishment 
uh, primary, secondary schools, uh, middle school, uh, high school, uh, university, college, what have you. These are largely individuals who are secularized in their thinking, even among them those who profess to be Christian. And their research showed that while 49% of voters overall said the cancel culture was wrong, when you broke out the demographic groups, 55% of those voters aged 18 to 34 said they had taken part in canceling individuals and institutions for views they found offensive and were very much sympathetic to punishing people and institutions over views they considered offensive. And the only group that was even more inclined that way were millennials. And so the demographics are such that we're going from a fact-based, rule-of-law-based culture to a feelings-based culture, and that does not bode well for the Christian church. So regardless of the rule of law or free speech, the culture wants dissenting voices like Christian voices silenced. And so you can expect them to view Christian belief as discriminatory, racist, homophobic, and oppressive, and you can expect left-leaning politicians to pander to this because they themselves believe the same way. Here's another example from 2020. In Virginia, this year, In the middle of the pandemic, right before Easter, Democratic Governor Ralph Northam signed the so-called Virginia Values Act into law. And what this law did, it compels churches, religious schools, and Christian ministries to hire employees who do not share their stated beliefs on marriage, sexuality, or gender identity. He also signed a companion law that requires such ministries and others like them to pay for transgender surgery in employee health care plans, a procedure that violates these ministries or organizations' convictions. So I would say this, depending on which party wins tomorrow or next month when they figure out who's who got what votes, you can expect to see changes in the Senate and the House or the presidency. And depending on who wins, these trends will either accelerate exponentially or experience a a two to four year delay. Wouldn't you say, though, that the Supreme Court is uh, is going to be a place where I think our values can be uh, continue to be upheld, those conservative beliefs? I mean, uh, with the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett, the conservative majority uh, in the Supreme Court is 6-3 now. And so wouldn't you say that the Supreme Court can help protect some of the, these rights and some of these liberties? Like, I, I look at this law by uh, Governor Northam, and I just think there's no way that's going to stand up when in court. Well, I would normally say that too, Mark, but that really comes down to this election again, doesn't it? Because Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and their party, based on the appointment, the very legal and acceptable appointment of this last Supreme Court justice, has promised to pack the court in order to offset it, and it becomes more of a legislative body. And so I would say if they win, that these protections have been even more greatly eroded and will be, we will be less able to rely upon them to protect our God-given rights. Which brings us to Joe Biden. In a recent interview, uh, Joe Biden told the Philadelphia Gay News that he was in favor of prosecuting religious institutions for discriminatory practices and speech. He sort of criticized Donald Trump for giving hate a safe harbor by protecting religious freedom and enabling what Biden condemned as discrimination. So they're going to redefine Christian belief as discriminatory. And so nonprofits, churches, homeless shelters, and other religious institutions will be encouraged, some would say coerced, to adopt policies inconsistent with their beliefs and that violate their conscience or face fines, lawsuits, or closings. 
And when you think about it, we've already seen this. And where do we see this? Well, remember Jack Phillips of the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Lakewood, Colorado, uh, was sued for refusing to bake a cake for a homosexual couple because he felt like it violated his uh, religious conscience. And the Colorado Civil Rights Commission took him to court and they were basically going to fine him and ruin him. And he appealed all the way to the Supreme Court and won. And what happened after that? That should have settled it, right? The Supreme Court weighed in, said what he did was okay, said the, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had violated his constitutional rights. And you know what they did? They turned right around and sued him again. Now, they dropped the case, but a uh, transgendered lawyer picked up the case and is now suing him again. And what you're going to see is the rule of law, the Constitution, uh, these institutions are going to be increasingly ignored. And so it's not over by a long shot. All right, so what's next with this, Keith? Well, it's like this. You know, we're looking at you know, public opinion, the public square, uh, law enforcement agencies, uh, special interest groups. But we really haven't talked about corporations. And last week, we, we said we would talk about the coming persecution in the workplace. And having touched on the culture now, I want to touch on that a little bit. Corporations are going to be part of this process as well. They already are. Corporations like Google, Facebook, Apple, and some of the big players here in Silicon Valley are already indoctrinating employees and setting the stage to persecute those whose ideas, whose uh, consciences don't comply with their policy. On my LinkedIn page, I put a, a request out for screenshots of over-the-top training sessions in Silicon Valley companies, and some of the responses I got were disturbing. Let me give you an example of one in a major tech company here in Silicon Valley. It was a screenshot of a screen that said this. This is part of the training that these people were being subject. To be less white is to be less oppressive, less arrogant, less certain, less defensive, and less ignorant. Now that right there is a racist statement against white people. Now this employee was troubled by that and said, well, what if I don't agree with this? I mean, is this going to affect my job? Uh, could I be fired for this? Could I be demoted? Should I leave the company? What? And the uh, HR executive said, well, we hope you're not going to be our adversary. They never gave him a straight answer. And basically, who says this is true? And so at best, depending on who wins the election tomorrow, this is going to become the norm in the culture and in the workplace. And where will you turn for protection? To the courts? Maybe not. To the Supreme Court? Maybe not. Now, should any of this surprise us? Well, we talked about this last week, didn't we? Jesus said in John 16, 1 through 2, I have said all these things. He was talking about all the persecution he described in John 15. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. We talked about this in that really bizarre, fanatical Keith Oberman uh, sound clip last week where he thinks he's doing the right thing. He wants to see supporters of views different than his own imprisoned, persecuted, prosecuted. And that's why Jesus warned us in John 15, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. No student is above his teacher. No slave is above his master. People should not be surprised. First Peter 4 says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now here's a warning for us all. But let no one suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Do not suffer persecution for the wrong reason. 
Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So, persecution is coming. The culture and its institutions are increasingly hostile. The populace is increasingly pagan, not neutral, but pagan, anti-Christian. It's all about sentiment, power, not the rule of law, not freedom of conscience, not freedom of religion. It's all about feelings versus fact, which brings me to Kamala Harris, who may well end up being the president in a year or two, depending on who wins the election. She has uh, sponsored the Do No Harm Act in the U.S. Senate, whose purpose is to, to dilute religious freedom. And the basic thesis is, you ha- as we talked about last week and the week before, you have freedom of worship, but not freedom of religion. She wants to confine religious thought to the home or to the house of worship, but she does not want to see it in the public square. Which brings us to the presidential election. Most votes have been cast, but uh, how should a Christian vote? How should a Christian come to the ballot? They should come to the ballot box as a Christian. Your worldview is to influence the way you live, the way you think, and the way you vote. A Christian should have, on Tuesday, voted his or her conscience. It goes like this. In my life, as a born-again Christian, as someone who reads, understands, and seeks to apply the Bible, I do not vote for candidates. I don't get wrapped up in personalities. When you look at Joe Biden or you look at Donald Trump, here are two men who probably are not born-again Christians, two men who do not really understand the Christian faith, two men whose personalities offend some and not others and vice versa. For me, as a Christian, I don't vote for candidates. I don't vote for personalities. I vote for worldview. And behind each candidate is a group that advocates a worldview that the other does not. They could not be more different. Only one group has a pro-life platform. Only one group claims to support what some call traditional marriage, marriage between one man and one woman. Only one group seems inclined to allow us to exercise our freedom of religion without onerous restrictions or persecution. And one group tends to characterize Christians as homophobes and Islamophobes. The other group does not. One group endorses critical theory and intersectionality, and one group does not. You have two groups with two widely different worldviews. And I cannot support a group that allows or that itself supports the unfettered dismemberment and murder of unborn human beings who have no voice, as one group does. And I cannot support and do not support a concept of marriage that is antithetical to Christianity. And so I vote according to worldview, which is how every Christian should vote. And the question you have to ask yourself, Christian, is what is my worldview? Is it truly biblical? And if it is, I can only vote for one group, or I certainly can't vote for a pro-abortion, pro-LGBTQ agenda. Uh, I can't do it as a born-again Christian. So we've looked at how Christians should vote, and I think um, one of the things that is often said is, you know, the gospel needs to be first and foremost in, in our thought process, and I and I think you did a great job at explaining how it's our worldview uh, that's at stake. And so, how do Christians uh, use their worldview, or how should they be using their worldview to get involved? But then also, what should they be doing in light of this coming persecution, in light of these things that we see coming? Um, how do Christians live? So, what do you do in light of the coming persecution? I would say at least four things. Number one. Don't act surprised because as Peter warned us, as the Bible tells us, don't act as if something unexpected is coming upon you. Uh, They hated Jesus, they'll hate you. They persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute you. Don't be surprised. You should be ready. And two, 
vote like a Christian. And I hope those who are hearing my voice voted as a born-again Christian should vote, and that's pro-life. Uh, three, be prepared. Prepare yourself. Equip yourself. Be ready to explain your faith. Be ready to defend your faith. Be ready to defend yourself in court. People often talk about turning the other cheek, but Jesus is referring to what some call the heretic slap, when people insult you for your beliefs. But at no place does Jesus say to lay down and play dead and let people step all over you. We are to defend the faith. We are to defend the helpless, the weak, the unborn. And so we should be ready to go to court if necessary. We don't, we don't need to stand idly by as our freedoms are assaulted. And we also need to be ready to defend other people's freedoms as well. Albert Nobler uh, was a Lutheran pastor during the rise of Hitler, and he wrote a statement that goes something like this. When the Nazis came for the socialist, I did not speak up because I was not a socialist. When the Nazis came for the trade unionist, I did not speak up because I was not a trade unionist. When the Nazis came for the Jews, I did not speak up because I was not a Jew. And when the Nazis came for me, there was no one to speak up. We need to speak up. We need to unite around freedom of conscience, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly. And to that end, we need to organize wisely. We need to be politically active, engaged in the culture. Uh, we need to be transforming the culture whenever, wherever, and however we can. And fourthly, and above all, you need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you with meekness, with gentleness, and with respect. Well, that's it for today. If you're listening and would like other resources, you can visit us online at www.gracetoliveradio.org and click the podcast resource button. And last but not least, if you would like to ask me a question, I try to respond to email within 24 hours. You can email me at keith at hillside.org. If you'd like to learn more about Hillside, visit our website at www.hillside.org. If you'd like to worship with us, join us for worship outdoors at 1045 on Sunday. We have an earlier indoor worship service at 9 a.m., and we live stream at 9 a.m. and 1045. You can watch those at www.hillside.org forward slash services. Before we go, if you're listening to uh, Apple Podcast or Spotify or iTunes, or any other platform, please give us a five-star rating. Give us a great review so that we can move up on the charts and expand the reach of this ministry. We release this podcast every Wednesday, so we hope you'll join us next time. You can subscribe so you don't have to keep up with it, and it'll just open up on your phone automatically. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler, Out of My Mind. God bless you and keep you. See you next time.